I am a blessed man. I've been privileged to have some of the greatest men in the apostolic movement take time for me and allow me to look to them for guidance and counsel. I'm honored to have had men like Bishop Wayne McLean, Bishop Gary Howard, Bishop Tom Johnson, Pastor Steve Kelly, Pastor John Burgess, just to name a few, invest in me and help to mold my life and ministry. Among those great men, there was one who was brought into my life during my formative years. At a time when young men experienced their most confusing and frustrating moments, God saw to it that one man was at the forefront of helping me, shaping me, pointing me in the right direction. That man was Elder James Davis. I can't speak his name without my mind being flooded with so many memories. Too many, in fact, to fit into one recording. Nevertheless, I'm going to do my best to hit some of the highlights. In so doing, I want to try to honor the legacy of a man whose impact on the kingdom of God should never be forgotten. Please understand that my family and I were basically new converts when we moved to Dallas, Texas, and began attending Greater Apostolic Tabernacle in Balt Springs, where Elder Davis was the pastor. I had prayed through and was baptized as a boy of 12 when none of my family was in church. Thankfully, God allowed me to win the rest of my family to the truth. And about three years after I prayed through in the North Texas town of Savoy, we made the move to Dallas. There was no way I could have known the drastic impact it would have on my life and ministry. When I think of Elder Davis, I think of a man who loved life and lived it to the fullest. He had a contagious laugh, and laugh he did. Anyone who ever spent any time around him knew he had a sense of humor that was second to none. He loved to tell jokes, pull pranks, and be as mischievous as anyone you've ever met. Some of his favorite jokes are still a part of my personal repertoire. Jokes about how little Indian boys got their names, and the mule who could tell someone's age just by looking at them. And who could forget the many parody songs he wrote? He loved to take familiar songs and add his own words to turn those great songs into hilarious ones. He even wrote one just for me. It was to the tune of Lanny Wolf's A Brand New Touch. And in this song for me, he spoke about a single mom in the church and how her daughter was looking for a brand new daddy. It was not long after we started attending church there, a few of us got together and made a humorous recording about certain events that had happened involving some members of the church. When word got to my dad that Elder Davis had heard the recording, my father was horrified. He went to the elder and apologized profusely for the part two of his sons had played in making that recording. Elder Davis looked at him, and then busted up laughing. He told my dad there was no need to apologize because he thought it was one of the funniest things he'd ever heard. I can't tell you how many times our youth group would be leaving church and he'd stop us, usually for one of two things. 
He either wanted to say, here's a kiss for you boys, and if you knew him, you know what that meant, or he'd say something to the effect of, I can't tell you to do it, but I'd buy the toilet paper if you boys would go roll Brother Haney's house. Every year at his annual holiness conference, he'd buy several dozen donuts, and when we'd gather in the fellowship hall during a break, he'd never fail to pray, asking the Lord to take all the calories out. And then, after his amen, he'd again bust up laughing. When I think of Elder Davis, I think of a man who was perhaps the hardest working man I've ever known. He could easily outwork 10 young men half his age, and work he did. In fact, it seems to me he always had some kind of project going on. I can still hear him announcing, there'll be a work party tomorrow, followed by the details of the many hours worth of hard physical labor he expected every able-bodied man to participate in. We cut down trees, laid tile, put on roofs, and busted up concrete. He led by example and showed us that God has no place in his kingdom for those who are lazy. Most of all, however, when I think of Elder Davis, I think of the deep, deep love he had for God. He rarely talked about the Lord that his eyes didn't well up with tears. In fact, I sincerely believe I understand the weeping prophet a little better than most do. To me, Elder Davis was the 20th century embodiment of Jeremiah. Many people who only heard about him accused him of being harsh and judgmental. They obviously didn't know him as I knew him. Now, I have often admitted he'd sometimes perform surgery with a buzzsaw, but without fail, when he was finished, he would lay on his face and sob like a baby. It became clear in those moments that he was only doing what he knew to be best for us, but it truly hurt him to have to do it. The songs that seemed to mean the most to him were those that best reflected the deep spiritual relationship he maintained. Oh, if I could just hear him sing, and he walks with me and he talks with me. If I could just hear him one more time, step to the pulpit and begin to sing, just to walk with him means everything to me. And if I could just hear one more time, as he stood up and began to sing, it's real, it's real, I know it's real. Oh, how I long to hear him sing those songs just one more time. Under Elder Davis, all-night prayer meetings were a staple. Many were the times we would gather at the church and pray. Sometimes we would take two-hour shifts. At other times, we would meet late in the evening, and we wouldn't leave the church until sunup the next morning.
The services at Greater Apostolic Tabernacle were beyond description. The elder would often say, when God kisses the earth, I want to be in the middle of the smack. And I can assure you, he always was. When it came to preaching, Elder Davis had a unique style. I don't mean this in a bad way, but he really wasn't a sermonizer. He wasn't in league with many of today's pulpiteers as far as eloquence or delivering masterpiece messages. Now, don't misunderstand, he did have some great masterpieces. Messages like, Lack Ye Anything? Or The Tabernacle of David? Or The Moabite on Your Back? Were among the most profound sermons I've ever heard. Still, Although he wasn't in the same league as the eloquent speakers most of us would readily recognize, it was only because he was in a league all his own. The thing about the elders' preaching was that at some point during that message, the power of God would fall, miracles would happen, and people would be filled with the Holy Ghost. Speaking of people receiving the Holy Ghost, Elder Davis had a special gift for praying people through. I heard him tell about the time in Tilly, New Brunswick, Canada, when he preached a short revival in which some 30 men prayed through. One of the amazing things about that revival was that it had been literally decades since anyone had received the Holy Ghost in that church. But he went there, preached faith, and watched God open the heavens. Imagine how thrilled I was many years after having heard the elder tell this story for the first time that I was riding in the van with Bishop Dana McKillop in New Brunswick. Bishop McKillop suddenly stopped in front of a little white wooden church. He looked at me and he began telling me the story of that revival. As it happened, we were passing through Tilly at that moment, and this was the very church where it had all taken place. Bishop McKillop had been pastoring there at the time Elder Davis preached that revival, and he went on to confirm every detail exactly as the elder had shared it with me so many years before, adding this final detail. He said every one of those men either still have the Holy Ghost today or died full of the Holy Ghost. Another example of the kind of power and faith that accompanied the elders' preaching and that was later confirmed to me in a personal way happened when I was pastoring in Colorado. I had often heard Elder Davis tell of a time he was preaching for Bishop Tom Johnson in Colorado Springs, and a sinner had come to that service with one leg several inches shorter than the other. The elder prayed for him, and the congregation watched as the man's leg grew to match the other one. Decades later, I assumed the pastorate in Canyon City, a city about 50 miles from Colorado Springs. And one Sunday, we had a visiting couple in service. At the end of my message, the man and his girlfriend came to the altar. I prayed with them for a while before the man looked up and said, I want to tell you a story. He then began to relate to me how that several years prior, 
He had visited a Pentecostal church in Colorado Springs, and a preacher was there from Texas who had prayed for him, causing his leg to grow. He then went on to tell me that his girlfriend didn't believe that that story was true. Well, you can imagine how surprised both of them were when I told them not only was that preacher my pastor, but that man's leg brace was hanging on my pastor's office wall at that very moment. When I think of Elder James Davis, I honestly think about a genuine prophet. I can't tell you how many times the Holy Ghost revealed things to him that he could not possibly have known otherwise. I remember one time when someone was stirring up trouble in the local church and the elder couldn't quite pinpoint who it was. On a Sunday afternoon, during his keeping of what he called the 11th commandment, which is thou shalt nap on Sunday, God gave him a dream and showed him a license plate. That evening, he intentionally showed up late for service, drove through the parking lot, and eventually found the license plate in question. When he saw whose car the plate belonged to, he knew exactly where the trouble was coming from. But it wasn't just trouble or sin about which this man of God received insight. A couple of years ago, we found an old cassette tape of him preaching the dedication service for my youngest daughter. To my amazement, one of the things he said about her was that he wanted God to use her, specifically mentioning that she would one day play the piano. Well, of my three daughters, only one plays the piano, and I'm sure you can figure out which of the three it is. I cannot count the many times I preached for him after I was out on my own that when I would finish preaching, I'd be knelt down praying, and he would come over to me, and I would hear him say, Thus saith the Lord. And this would be followed by a direct word of prophecy. Now, obviously, I can't share all of those prophecies during this time, nor would I want to share all of them. But in one particular instance, after I had taken the church I currently pastor, his word from God for me was, Thus saith the Lord, dream big, my son, dream big. And I've endeavored to do that ever since. One thing that always meant so much to me was during a deep, serious conversation, he would sometimes look at me and he'd begin his remarks by saying, Son, I knew I wasn't his physical son, but somehow in those moments, I understood Paul's use of that title to Timothy. I know pride is not a good thing, but if I could say it this way, there was a sense of sanctified pride that would come to me knowing that this spiritual giant didn't mind being considered my spiritual father. Now, before I close, let me share with you what is perhaps my fondest memory of Elder James Davis. It was in his latter years he had begun to experience some form of dementia. His daughter Terry contacted me and talked to me about trying to go see him in the convalescent home where he was staying. 
In all honesty, I was a bit hesitant about doing so. It's not because I didn't want to see him, but I really didn't want my last memory of him to be of him in decline. Still, I desperately wanted to have one final conversation with him before the Lord took him home. When I arrived, I walked into the large gathering hall where various residents were stationed at tables while seated in their wheelchairs. I asked one of the staff members if she could direct me to Reverend James Davis. She pointed to a spot in the room and said, that's him. Since I had not seen him in a while, I didn't even recognize him. He was thin and his face was gaunt. He was in a wheelchair, seated at a large round table. It was too large for me to sit across from him, so I pulled up a chair beside him. I spoke to him, and he responded. However, he kept his face pointed directly in front of him and never looked in my direction. I did my best to carry on a conversation, and he talked. However, most of what he said made very little sense. And still I plodded on, hoping to somehow get through to the man I knew and loved. And after what may have been an hour or more, he asked me a question. Still looking straight ahead, he said, you know what I hate the most about being in this place? I responded, no, elder. What's that? He said, I hate that my ministry is over. When he said that, something rose up in me. I said, Elder Davis, your ministry is not over. In fact, as long as I'm alive, your ministry will live on through me. You've put so much into me and other preachers that have come out from your leadership. And as long as we're still here, your ministry continues on. It was then for the first time since I arrived, that he turned and looked at me. He reached out his hand and laid it on my head. The Holy Ghost fell. He started talking in tongues. He prophesied. He told me of the things God was going to do with, through, and for me. And when things finally settled down, he looked at me and said, I've got a message I want you to preach. I said, you tell me what it is, elder. I promise you I'll preach it. He said, it's called getting in tune with the Holy Ghost. He continued, what this world needs right now is someone who knows how to be used in the Spirit. Someone that can follow God's lead. Someone who can get in tune with what the Lord is wanting to do. And after I made notes, we continued to visit for a while because my old pastor was back. The man with whom I had hoped to have one final conversation was present and accounted for. We talked, we laughed, we cried. It was the best visit I'd ever had with my pastor, my mentor, my friend. By the way, when I got home, I did preach that message. I began by having my daughter, the piano player, and my wife, the organist, play Amazing Grace in two different keys. As they did, I sang in a third key.
When we finished, I instructed them, let's all get in the same key now and try it again. And I pointed out to the congregation how much better everything was when everyone was in tune. Toward the end of my message, I told the church the story behind that message and how I had gotten it. I told of how his mind had been lost in that dark world of dementia, but how he eventually came around. I explained it to them like this. I believe that for that first hour, the elder was simply trying to find the key the Holy Ghost was in. But when that gentle breeze of the Spirit began to blow, he found his key and he began to sing. And what a beautiful song it was when we all got in tune with the Holy Ghost. After he passed, I reached out to his daughter, Terry, and I asked one favor. I told her I didn't really have anything of the elders and didn't really want anything except for one thing. I wanted a pair of his dress shoes, specifically a pair he had worn while preaching. She was gracious and kind enough to grant my request. And that pair of shoes sits as the centerpiece in a display case in my office to this day. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. And I don't think there will ever be feet more beautiful than those of the elder who preached truth to me, taught me to pray, taught me to love holiness, and taught me to love others. Elder Davis, I miss you. No one will ever know the many times I've wished I could pick up the phone and speak with you again. If I could just hear those words of wisdom, if I could just hear that laugh, if I could just hear you pray just one more time. But alas, God's chosen that these things will never take place on earth again. Nevertheless, I'm looking forward to the day when I will hear your voice again. I'm looking forward to the day when I will hug your neck again. I'm looking forward to the day when I can relay to you all the ways that your ministry has continued to live on even after you went to your reward. Elder James Davis, you and Sister Davis did more to shape my spiritual life than anyone outside of the Lord himself. You used to always say, the best way to show me that you love me is to live what I preach. Well, Elder, I want you to know I've done my best to do exactly that. Thank you for the example you set. Thank you for the love you showed. Thank you for letting me call you my spiritual father. I long for the day when we'll be reunited in the presence of the one you taught me so much about.